Almighty God, we thank you for this blessed day, Father. We thank you for your, your presence, God. And, and what we ask, Father, is that as we leave, we don't leave the same men that we came in, God. We want a touch from you. We want a changed heart. We want a changed life. We want to know you more, God, because you are worthy of all the praise. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> I just want to say I want to, what an honor it is to be in front of you guys. Um, I remember leading singles at Amarillo South, and one of the things I used to hear women say were, there's no good men out there. They need to come to Harvest Christian. There's some good men here. You guys get up 6.30 in the morning, you know, sacrificing your sleep because you want a deeper relationship with God. And I just want to let you know I'm honored to be in front of you this morning. I've got a fairly simple subject to talk about, um, but it's an, it's an important subject. It's something that you may not have thought of before, uh, something that God put on my heart, because I can't share anything with you. I'm not a teacher. I just share with you what God's placed on my heart. But imagine for a moment you're out on a deer hunt. A lot of you guys love to hunt. I used to deer hunt. You know, in the distance you see this deer. You can't fully see it, but you see the antlers, you know it's big, you know it's a buck, about a 150-yard shot, you can hit the side of it, you can take it down, you squeeze the trigger, you hear the plop, deer falls, you know you got him. You walk over to the deer, slowly, your heart's racing a little bit, you know that feeling. You look down and it's a 12-point buck, big, broad shoulders. What's the first thing you do? You stand there and just look at it, just in amazement at how beautiful this animal is, how big it is, how majestic it is. You know, then, of course, these days, what do you do next? Cell phone, selfies, <laughs> right? Because what do you want? You want your friends to know how big, how beautiful, how majestic this animal is. You know, you just stand there in awe of it. Or, or maybe you're not a, uh, a hunter. Maybe you're a Dallas Cowboy fan or whatever football team you like. <clears throat> you enter this contest, and the prize is you get to go to the locker room with the Cowboys or your favorite team. You get to sit on the bench with the game, with the team during the entire game. How do you think you would feel when you walk into that locker room? You see Dak Prescott. The players aren't there yet. You're by yourself. <clears throat> All the names of the Cowboys, their helmets, their uniforms laid out. They come in. You walk out on the field, Texas Stadium, as awesome and big as it is. What are your feelings? You're probably just in awe. Wow, this is crazy. This is amazing. But, you know, an animal, a football team, a game, we feel this sense of awe and excitement. You know, awe, A-W-E, it's not a word we use often. And according to the dictionary, it's an overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, fear, which is produced by that which is grand, excellent, extremely powerful. But my question is, is there a sense of awe when you walk into the church and you're surrounded by your brothers and sisters? <clears throat> what about when you're thinking about God, do you feel a sense of awe, amazement? In your prayer time, 
when you're singing praise songs, when you read his word. You know, I think sadly for many of us, the truth is, there isn't a feeling of awe. But, you know, what I wondered is, is, is awe even necessary? Is it something God expects from us to be in amazement of him? In the NIV, Isaiah 66, uh, 2 says, Has not my hand made all these things? And so they come into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 in the NIV says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that, is not, that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. So what Hebrews 12, 28 is, and 29 is saying that is in order for our worship to be acceptable to God, we have to do it with reverence and awe. I, I know for me personally, a lot of times, I'm, I won't say I'm going through the motions, but there's nothing special in my heart going on when I'm singing the song or I'm reading his word. You know, I get up every morning. It's just something I do sometimes, but there's no sense of I'm in the presence of the king. But again, it says, so that our worship can be acceptable, there has to be reverence and awe. So the question becomes, how do we lose it? Or do we even have it, <laughs> right? Since it is required for worship to be acceptable and for God to esteem us, if we lost it, how do we get it back? Now, if you've, you've been in a relationship for a while, you know, more than a few years, you may have noticed things have changed. <laughs> Remember early on in that relationship when you were going out on dates and you were all excited? Hopefully she was excited too. <laughs> you know, you talked during dinner, you went to movies. You know, to be honest, you got excited just thinking about her. Think about that evening, that time you're going to get to spend with her. You know, you, you thought about her smile and how it lights up the room. Or you remember that car and that truck that you really wanted? You know, you used to drive by the, the dealership and look at that man. One of these days, and then you buy it. You drive it off the lot. You keep it clean, right? Inside, out. You drive by the friend's house. You drive slow. You know, you want people to see you, right? You know, you park. When you're at Walmart, you see those trucks parked out by themselves because they don't want somebody dinging their door, right? That's you. Now think four or five years later. Payment number 58. <laughs> same excitement, same awe. Marriage, year five, six, seven, eight. Same excitement? Probably not. But what happened? It's the same woman you met that you were excited about, it's the same truck. Same features that, you know, they didn't come in and take the GPS out. It's still there that you were all pumped up about before you made that 58th payment. But I, I think there's a quality of humans where when something becomes familiar, it becomes commonplace. And I think this is even true with our relationship with God. You know, how many times, and it may have been you, 
Have you seen a new Christian? You know, they get baptized. Every, th- every time the church is open, they're there. Every program, they're there. Five, six years later, church attendance, hit and miss. I was tired Sunday morning. You're trying to convince them to get back into small groups because they were in one, but now they're not so interested. That happens to us. So the question becomes, how do we lose it? How did we lose it? I don't know if this is the right answer, (laughs) but since I'm talking, it's the answer you're going to get. It's our mind. It's how we think of things. Okay? Imagine in your marriage, if each day you thought about how blessed you are to have a wife. Do you remember when you were single and you didn't have her? You know, how fortunate you are to have somebody that cares about you and shares their life with you. How fantastic it is to have somebody that help you, help you raise these crazy kids y'all produced, right? And this one is to remember that woman that you're in, mar- married to, that's God's daughter. He trusted you with his daughter. Are you going to talk to her? Are you going to talk to God's daughter a little bit different than you talk to? Maybe. (laughs) I know I would. I don't think I would want God upset with me. But what if we thought of our wives that way? Or instead of globalizing Christianity, in other words, you know, Jesus died for everyone. But do you remember who you were before the Lord touched you? You know, do you remember that he suffered? He was tortured for your sins? That cuss word you said last night when you were upset watching whatever it was or when that bill came in you weren't expecting or when your kid did whatever, there was a nail driven in his wrist to cover your cuss word? Or what if you thought about all the sick people at BSA in Northwest Texas Hospital this morning. And you woke up and you're here feeling good. Or what if you remembered last night, this is always heavy on my heart, that somebody got a phone call. Your daughter died. They were in a car wreck. Ma'am, your husband was in a car wreck. But your phone didn't ring last night. You see, I think if we remember the goodness and the blessings of God, what was once familiar becomes special and cherished again. Because God is awesome each day, whether you remember he is or not, right? So when we walk in his presence and remember how awesome he is, we become a part of that awesomeness. Okay? Our day goes from average and ordinary to blessed and in the presence of the king regardless of what's happening. We start to look for God's presence. I remember a lady told me a story one time, just always stuck with me. She was having a really rough time, a single lady, struggling financially with her children, all kinds of things, and she was going to Amarillo College. And she was walking to class one day, and she, she said she'd cried the night before with some issue. I don't remember this, what was going on. This was over 20 years ago. And she saw these squirrels chasing after each other, and they were fighting. 
And she sat on this park bench and just watched these squirrels, and she laughed for about five minutes. And then she thought, God, thank you. I needed a laugh. But what struck me about the story was I wouldn't have noticed the squirrels. We get too busy moving through life that we miss the little awesomeness of God. But she saw it. She saw it. So when we're a part of his awesomeness, you know, when we're singing church songs, we're no longer just singing the song. We're worshiping the Alpha and the Omega. We're honored to be able to speak to the great I Am when we pray. We're even amazed that he even hears our voice, that he cares. We are in awe to know that the great I Am calls us his child. In Romans 8.16, it says, For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. Isaiah 40.28, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary or tired, and his understanding no one can fathom. Psalm 8.3 When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that, he, that you are not mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Another reason we should be in awe of God is he's creator. With a word. I mean a word. Think about that. Let there be light. And everything we see in the heavens came into existence. And when we're praying, that's who we're praying to. Someone who has the power to speak into existence, a universe. And he hears us and he cares for us. That ought to inspire all in our hearts in amazement. Psalm 33, 6 and 9. I really like this one. It's not quite my favorite, but we're almost there. The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. He gave the sea its boundaries, and he locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let everyone in the world fear the Lord, and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. And then we should also be in awe of God for the fact that he is a judge. <laughs> you know, the Bible tells us we will be judged, which we don't like, but what we're judged for is for the rewards that we'll receive in heaven. We're not judged for our salvation, praise God. You know, NIV 2, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things he has done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so that's for the rewards that we're going to get in heaven. But on earth, what happens when the judge enters the courtroom? What does the bailiff say? All rise. Why is that? Out of reverence for his authority and his position. 
So if we're willing to rise for the judge down at Randall County, <laughs> which my son was in trouble, we rose many times, sad to say, but if we're willing to do that for an earthly judge, shouldn't we feel awe for the universe judge? Right? Simply because of his position and his authority. And the last thing I think that inhibits us somewhat from being in awe of God is something that troubles me personally, becomes commonplace, because the English language, the words we use just don't, they don't explain things well enough. And the thing I hear very often is, God, I'm, a, I'm a friend of God, or God is my friend. Now, come up here for a second. When I think of friend, I'm, you know, I'm thinking, hey, what's up, man? What's happening? Yeah, baby, how's it going? Yeah. That's a friend, right, on earth. You know, somebody we high five. Somebody we just talk to. I don't think that's the friend God is with us. When I read the text regarding friendship with God, it's not about we're buddies. It's not about I can speak to him however I want to. It's about he calls me friend because he knows me. He calls me friend because, what, is he, what did he say about Abraham? And the scripture, this is uh, James 22 and 2, 23. And the scripture was filled, fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. But what did Abraham do? Did he high five God? What he did was he showed God he could be trusted, right? He took his son up on the, on the mountain, and God says, I can trust you. We have friends. We like to trust our friends. And so a lot, I think a lot of people, especially people who aren't, who haven't read the word, who don't know enough word, say a new Christian comes into a church and they hear, hey, God's your friend. Oh, well, God, I, I, we just hang out. I can do whatever. Hey, hey, gee, how's it going, you know? But we forget to tell people, about the reverence and awe. I know at a boys' ranch, the kids will, I get into good relationships with these kids. And so every once in a while, one will go a little bit too far in a conversation with me. And he may refer to me in a term, he or she, in a term that uh, may be a little bit derogatory. Uh, I, don't, I don't mean racist or anything, but just real playful. And I'll have to say, hey, back up a second. Why don't you ask me that question again with a little more respect? And then they, oh, I'm sorry, sir. I, 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 I didn't mean it like that, you know. And then they'll rephrase the question. And, and I wonder sometimes, would God do the same with us? When we go to him in a flippant manner or a disrespectful manner because he's our friend, I wonder, does he even hear us? Okay, are you talking to me? <laughs> the great I, I am who created you, and that's how you're, something's not right here. Why don't you come back at me again <laughs> with a little bit more respect, and maybe I'll pay attention to you. But the other thing that they don't tell people when we reference God being our friend, which this is kind of an interesting verse because I'm going to reference something else here in a second too, is in John 15, 14, they ask, well, it says, you are my friends if you do what I command. 
That doesn't sound like I can live however I want to, right? What's interesting about that verse is, remember they asked Jesus, and I don't remember where it is, but they say, how do we know that we love you? And what does he say? If you keep my commands. But I think that's the part that often churches get, gets missed, is that somebody says, hey, we're a friend of God, and people make an assumption about what that friend is. But I think that relationship needs to be explained a little bit more so that we realize we're a friend of God because, number one, we're in a relationship with us. He knows us. We know him, and he can trust us. This is my one of my favorite passages that just shows to me, and I can hear God almost speaking it as I read it. It just inspires awe in my heart about God being creator and who God is. Because I heard a preacher say something about, or somebody said, the Old Testament was about punishment and the New Testament is about love, which I disagree with. It's all about love. <laughs> when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he did it out of love, right? That wasn't punishment. That's love. You know, I need you to come back in, in line with me. Um, but what I like about the Old Testament is, is, is it tells me God's heart. It tells us what's important to God. It tells us what pleases God. Yes, the New Testament is about grace, which I love. Thank you. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be here without it, right? But I think it's important that we know who God is. So this is Isaiah 45, 5 through 12. It says, I am the Lord, and there is no other God. I have prepared you, even though you do not know me, so all the world from east to west will know that there is no other God. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I am the one who creates the light and makes the darkness. I am the one who sends good times and bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. Open up, O heavens, and pour out your righteousness. Let the earth open wide so salvation and righteousness can sprout up together. I, the Lord, created them. Destruction is certain for those who argue with their creator. Not good. <clears throat> Does a clay pot ever argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, Stop, what are you doing? It's wrong. Does the pot exclaim, How clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to its father and mother, why was I born? Why did you make me this way? This is what the Lord, the creator of the Holy One says. Do you question what I do? Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? I am the one who made the earth and I created the people of it. With my hands, I stretched out the heavens and millions of stars are at my command. And that's from the New Living Translation. But I love that because that gives me a beautiful picture of who God is.